here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct. Good to see you, everybody. This is the Bundesliga Show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we're... out of practice at this Bundesliga watching thing. It's been more than two months since the balls were rolling in Germany's top flight. And so we brought in a man who's kept a very close eye on things. It is Adam Kahn. He is author of the excellent German Football Weekly newsletter. How you been? How you have you spent your last what ten weeks? Has it been? Yeah, man, I've been I've been hibernating like most of the Bundesliga fans catching a bit of Premier League here and there, but it's mm. it's just not the same as German football. So I'm excited to have it back. Not exactly sure what season we're in even anymore. It feels like it's been so long since since all the action happened. But yeah, just excited to see everything get back underway and to to catch what is still more than half of the half of the Bundesliga season to go. Yeah, yeah, we had an entire World Cup behind us. I've heard comments from a number of coaches and players that this feels to them like a new season. And I have to admit that it does it does to me too. I hope this is a new season that that is 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 good and, and turns out well for you know the teams that I care about. But I we'll we'll get to that later. Anyway, so we're gonna be back with the best and the rest of Match Day 16. In the meantime, please do subscribe to the pod, leave us a good rating if you like. It helps get the word out to new listeners. Anyway, we'll be right back with more. All right, let's kick off part one of Talking Foosball Direct. Remember, this is what we do on this show. We talk about the best of the match day just gone here at the top. This was match day 16. Yeah, we had a real spicy game to kick off the restart. It was the Rekordmeister, FC Bayern München, against third place side RB Leipzig. Leipzig, they were red hot heading into the break, but, you know, (laughs) that was ages ago. So what does that even mean? What we can be sure of, though, is that Bayern were facing at least one very big change in their lineup. Manuel Neuer, as we probably know by now, he let his love of skiing get the better of him back in December. He did his leg in. He's out for the season. Bayern had to, you know, react, make a move. They sort of felt out quite a number of goalkeepers, and they landed in the end on – a guy I think you're probably pretty familiar with, uh, former Gladbach standout, Jan Zomer, Adam. I thought this was a pretty entertaining game on Friday night, although not one super full of fireworks. I mean, Bayern took a late lead in the first half through Eric Maxim Chupomoting, Marcel Halstenberg, knotted it up sort of uh, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the second. And both teams had other chances to score. We had a disallowed goal for Bayern in the early going. We had a, a maybe red card, but maybe not in the end that might have have changed things around in the second half to help Leipzig. What did you make of this game, and and where do you see sort of Bayern heading, sticking around at the top, maybe weakening a little bit? I know Manuel Neuer has not been quite the sort of all-world goalkeeper that he was earlier in his career, but Jan Sommer, not quite the same. Very good goalkeeper, but not really the same thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, just to kick it off, it's really a, a huge match that, that we're starting the Bundesliga with. And you'd argue probably for, for the title equation, probably the biggest match you could have had at this point in the season. Leipzig came into this, as you said, on sparkling form. After um, Marco Rosa's taken over, they've really climbed up the table. And they went into just six points off Bayern first. So had they won, they would have brought it down to three points. Had Freiburg won more than them in a bit, they could have been in touching distance of Bayern. So... 
Yeah, there should have been a very, very big game to cheat it off. And although, as you said, there was such big implications on it, you did get a bit of a sense that people were just finding their way back in with each other. There was a lot of sloppy passes in the beginning of the game, even real standouts for the season, like a, a Jamal Muziala, for example, had a quieter game than we've seen from him. So it did have a bit of a feel that that the players were just getting up and running again. And in the end, with with all the controversy, for example, an Upamakano should have been a red card, should have been a yellow. I think it probably should have been a yellow. And then some other offside goal, as you mentioned. I think in the end, the 1-1 draw is probably fair and gives Bayern that buffer still to Leipzig and, of course, Freiburg as well. But it also means that Leipzig are not out of the equation and they can kind of pick off where, where hopefully they left off in the, in the first half of the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that both of these teams will be ultimately really fine with this result. I think Bayern, especially with the way things turned out, further in the weekend as as far as other teams who are in the hunt, are still well in the driver's seat here. Leipzig got a point from a, a pretty tough opponent. What do you see as sort of like the remaining trajectory for... We'll start with Bayern just because they're always in the spotlight. They're always sort of fighting off rivals. Do you see Jan Zomer as sort of the best possible solution they could have found. They kicked the tires on Kevin Trapp. They tried to get Alexander Nubel back from Monaco, but this is the spot they landed on. Yeah, I think Jan Sommer, I mean, perhaps it's by my Gladbach bias, but I think Jan Sommer is, is a fantastic goalie. I think he's probably the in the top three goalies in the Bundesliga, and he's probably been that for the better part of the last decade. So I think that's a really fantastic sign. I think what's especially important with Jan Sommer is his ability in possession. I mean, he's a player that that is not the tallest goalkeeper in the world. So he's had to use a lot of his other aspects to really carve out a career at this level. And that includes his ability to, to make sharp passes, to play as an almost a center back in possession. And that that's exactly what Bayern want in their game as they dominate just, just pretty much every opponent in the world, even the Champions League. They're probably always in the favorite seat. So you need a goalie who can play a big role in possession. Jan Zomer is exactly that. But just ask a Byron fan, it'll tell you just how good Jan Zummer is saving the ball on his line. He's a player who steps up in the big moments. He's shown it for Switzerland with countless penalty saves and big matches at the World Cup and also in the Bundesliga for Gladbach in those matches against Bayern, against Dortmund. Just watch some of those highlights and you'll see that Jan Zummer is a fantastic goalie and perhaps not the, the aura of Manuel Neuer, not the, the, not the legacy of Manuel Neuer. But as a, as a shot stopper and even in possession, he's not a huge downgrade. And I don't think Bayern should be too, too worried that, that yeah, that Neuer's absence is now not as felt as, as previously. Yeah, I, I want to take you on a brief detour, partly in response to something that you wrote about in your last newsletter. He didn't end up playing maybe the big role that you hoped that he might in this game. But I was interested in, in what you had to say about Matthijs Tell. This is a player who I don't think gets a lot of press. He hasn't gotten that much playing time. But what he has gotten, he has made a lot out of. Looking forward into the sort of remaining games of the season, what do you think he might be able to offer them? Yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to be a player that we really see burst into the into the limelight in the second half of the season. And it's crazy to think that, I mean, Tell is just 17 years old, right? That's younger than Jude Bellingham. That's younger than than a, even a Yusufa Mokuku. So this is almost the, the next next star coming through in this division. And what, as you said, just what he's made of limited minutes, he's scoring at a rate of a, more than a goal every 90 minutes. So every time he gets on the pitch, he's going for goalies, finding dangerous moments and, and getting in there and scoring the goals. And yeah, I think he's a player who has a big, big future, but can also be helpful for Bayern right now. And as you mentioned, of course, this huge break between us, the World Cup as well. But 
Tell was a player who was not on international duty. He was at the Zabinastrasse in Munich, learning from Nagelsmann, being on the training pitch more than anybody else. And yeah, that definitely should have helped a young player who is new in the Bavarian culture, new in Germany, and of course, new to the very demanding tactics of Nagelsmann, find his feet even more in Bayern's system and hopefully step into a role that whether alongside Schuppen-Wittain or just putting the pressure on the Cameroonian, we'll see Tell get a lot more minutes in the second half of the season. Very nice. I would be excited to see a player like him come through as well. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what's to come for for Bayern and Leipzig. I know that uh, it's going to be a busy week for everybody, but it would seem to me that Leipzig in particular have a chance to, you know, catapult themselves further up the table, potentially. They, They have a game against Schalke. They have a game against Stuttgart. One would think that this would be an opportunity for them to potentially make up some ground, if not on Bayern, but at least on some of those rivals. Yeah, absolutely. I think you also mentioned, of course, that Leipzig has an extra day advantage of the extra day of rest for going from a Friday to a Tuesday versus some of these other squads that are going from a Saturday to a Tuesday. So that definitely plays in their hands as well. Um, Schalke, as we'll get to in a minute, are, are the side who are the most out of form, if you can even call form really a, a thing in this division right now. But Schalke is the side that any team would want to go to Schalke right now to play them because it's a team that you can beat. So Leipzig will be happy enough to do that. And Stuttgart as well. I mean, Stuttgart are a bit of a wild card now that they have Bruno Labadia in charge. But Leipzig at home are a different animal this season. They still have not lost a match at home all season. That includes wins over Real Madrid, wins over Dortmund, and of course, last Friday's tie against Bayern. So I think you can safely predict that that Leipzig will be the favorites for those matches. And yeah, six more points by the time we're recording the next episode potentially could see them right up in that title chances. Yeah, yeah. Bayern with a slightly more challenging program the rest of the week, which we don't necessarily need to talk about right now. They they face uh, Cologne and Eintracht Frankfurt, who, as we'll find out later in the show, both had pretty good weeks. What I do want to talk about now is the team who failed to take advantage of Bayern's sort of mini slip-up this week. That is SC Freiburg, the team, you know, they had been one of the steadiest teams in the division last fall. They, you know, marched through the first 15 games into second place. They were not Exactly hot on Bayern's heels, but the closest we got to that, they really marched through their Europa League group. And man, they just got blitzed in Wolfsburg. A 6-0 win for the Wolves. Patrick Wimmer had them on top, you know, 1-0 inside a minute. He set up Jonas Vin to make it 2-0 before the half-hour mark. And after that, it was more or less a landslide for the boys in electric green. Vind got another. Yannick Gerhard got one. Reed Labaku got one. Luca Waldschmidt with a penalty late on. You know, even, even future USMNT hopeful Kevin Paredes got an assist in this game off the bench. What were Wolfsburg doing on Saturday that gave Freiburg such fits in this game? It was one-way traffic just about throughout. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a result that is so unfribered, like the, the consistent team of, of the last few years in the Bundesliga, one that is so well coached, never really loses heavily, even against the top side. So to see Freiburg on the end of a 6 no scoreline is something that you don't traditionally really align with them. But a lot of credit needs to go to Wolfsburg as well. This is a side that has really flown, flown under the radar this season, had a very terrible start to the year. I think they didn't win a single one of their first five matches, but... They held on to Niko Kovac, the uh, pretty defensive manager, one who isn't universally loved in the Bundesliga. And I mean, it's a decision that's really paid dividends. So now right at the top in this European challenge, 
They've won their last five games in a row. Since match day eight, I believe they've had as many points as every other team in the Bundesliga, bar Leipzig and Bayern. So, yeah, they're a team on red-hot form. And it's not necessarily the attack that's so good for Wolfsburg, which feels crazy to say after a 6-0 victory. But it's actually the defense for, for Niko Kovic. And as we said, he's a defensive manager, and it's reflected in their statistics. They've conceded just 20 goals this season. It's the, it's the second fewest behind only Bayern. So, yeah, a lot of really good work being done in Wolfsburg. And it's hard to imagine the side not just continuing to develop further and further. Yeah. You know, speaking of further and further, yes, all of our aforementioned caveats about form. This is five wins in a row, though. So I, I feel like even if there's a 10-week break in there, that's pretty damn good. And also looking ahead, I mean, Wolfsburg have Hertha and Bremen on deck, which to me seem like two eminently winnable games. Do you trust them to make it seven in a row and really start to make some noise? Yeah, it's hard to trust anybody really in the Bundesliga to win seven games in a row because it feels like this league is just so competitive this season. But there is something about Wolfsburg that's just just refreshing, actually, because Wolfsburg isn't a side that is traditionally very fun to watch. I mean, they don't even have a fan base that's very German-like, you could say. They they don't always have the the next big talents in German football either. But yeah, there's something very exciting about how Wolfsburg is structuring their side now. And also about how this squad is shaping up, because you mentioned a lot of young talents there, and Patrick Wimmer, Kevin Paredes, just to mention two. And they've also now got a lot of the old talent off their books, players who aren't necessarily all pulling on one string. Guys like Mats Kruse, for example, have left the club, and former captain Yosha Gilavudi is now out of the squad and potentially moving to Stuttgart. So they're really building something new. There's not a lot of egos left in that dressing room. And yeah, it just feels like a good place to be right now is Wolfsburg and to see them just kind of go under the radar until they're banging the Champions League equation at the end of the season, I, I wouldn't put it past them. All right. Any thoughts about Freiburg? Once again, <laughs> it's hard to read too much into this one because it seems like a bit of a blackout from this team. But they do have fairly challenging things coming up. They have Eintracht and Augsburg. I mean, th- those are both home games, but those are games, given what happened this weekend, that look challenging. Yeah, I think it's especially Frankfurt. I mean, a side like that is not one you want to have be your rebound after after a 6-0 thrashing. Because if anybody can thrash you 6-0, it's probably Eintracht Frankfurt. They're a team that loves to score some goals, as we'll get to shortly. But, I mean, these are big tests that, that Freiburg needs to master. And if they want to be part of this European debate, they have to also be able to take at least four points from Frankfurt and Augsburg that combined. So I wouldn't put it past them. And like I said, it's a side that, is able to overcome challenges. It's an extremely professional roster, a relatively old roster also. There's some really nice talent in there as well, but you have an axis from from goalkeeper all the way up to the center forward where you have some experienced veterans who know how to go about some setbacks like this. So as I mentioned, I think that Freiburg has enough within them to to bring it back. And yeah, I don't see Christian Streich with all his experience now being thrown under the bus with just one poor defeat like this. Oh, I mean, (laughs) the number of times that Christian Streich has had to remind overzealous journalists and press conferences that like all the narratives that we like to form about, <laughs> you know, win streaks, losing streaks, good performances, bad performances, you know, he basically is about the steadiest dude in the Bundesliga, not in terms of just staying in his job for a long time, but just viewing the business of coaching as sort of setting his team up to perform well and letting the results take care of themselves. So, you know, ho- hopefully things turn around, but I, I think he's not going to be too impatient about it. Okay, let's now move on and talk about the probably wildest game 
of the weekend in terms of sort of fireworks from both sides. We had a lot of high-scoring games, but not too many that sort of saw both teams firing on all cylinders. This one definitely fell into that department, however. Borussia Dortmund, a 4-3 win over Augsburg. So, I mean, lots of storylines over the course of the winter break swirling around Dortmund. But at least toward the end of the break, mostly positive ones. This was a team that hadn't really hit expectations in the first half of the season. But, you know, you had first and foremost Sebastian Allaire coming back into the squad. You know, this is the guy who they've been waiting for for months Successful treatment of testicular cancer. It looks like he's he's going to be ready to go as a starter, maybe maybe even some point this week. However, Yusuf Mokoko was the guy who did start in place of him, and he had been linked with a move away for ages, but he decided to re-up with the Schwarzgelben for, you know, I think another three or four years. So everything was looking nice going into this game. It was against a, a team that seemed beatable at home, but, <laughs> you know... Dortmund had to do this in the most Dortmund way possible, it seems. They scored and scored and scored. They gave up no less than three equalizers over the course of this game. Finally got that final go-ahead goal from Diorena, 10 minutes from time. Yeah, lots of entertainment. Probably a little bit too much in the high blood pressure department for a lot of Dortmund fans. Is this just just where Befa Bay are at? Is this them? Do they have a path out of this? What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, it feels like one of those where in the moment you celebrate the free points, but it's almost just putting off the inevitable sadness of, of seeing your side not even learn anything from the past few seasons and months and, and years where you cannot win a Bundesliga title with four frees and five fours and, and six fives. You need a bit more consistency, two zeros, one zeros, right? Free zeros, performances like that. And that's kind of what it's showing again for, for Dortmund. But I mean, on the bright side, you, as you mentioned, it's not just Sebastian Nalea returning, but so many talents in, the, in this talented roster are back on the pitch. And amongst them, Jamie Bynum Gittins, right? Yeah. Another really, really young talent who could have his breakthrough in the second half of the season. And yeah, a super well-taken goal for, I believe, was the the free two at, at the moment. What looked like the winner before the replays were even finished. Outsport went up the other way. So yeah, as you mentioned, it's chaos as usual for Dalman and this time around, they were on the right end of that chaos. But if, it, if it's going to go like that for the rest of the season, I have my doubts. Yeah, taking a somewhat bigger picture view than just this particular game. This is something I think you touched on in your newsletter. It's been, you know, out there quite a lot. Mokoko, that contract issue is sorted out now at Dortmund. But there's still quite a lot more that's sort of looming. The big one, of course, is Marco Hoyce. You know, I think it, what it really boils down to is two questions, which is, you know, is he going to be willing to take a pay cut to stay, which is what he's going to have to do, it seems, because they're they're not making him an offer that's a sort of, of course, I'll take it. And then even underlying that, do they even need Marco Royce anymore? Of course, he's a nice player to have, but just looking at how many players they have in attacking midfield roles, whether that be central or wide, we mentioned a couple of the young ones already in, in Bino Gittens and Reina, but there's more. What do you think, if you were Sebastian Kale or Aki Vatska, what would be the way of finessing this into being? Keeping Marco Royce or at least making him an offer that doesn't insult him and turns into a really bad story for the remainder of the season? This is a tough spot that they're in. Yeah, it's a super loaded question. I think it's one that's almost been hanging in the year for two years now. I think that since... Dortmund has got this abundance of talent since the likes of Gio Reina have come in. Julian Brunn is also in that racist form a lot. 
you see Dalman linked with with a free transfer of Daichi Kamada in the summer, another extremely talented number 10. So that would leave you with four players who could be basically starting for all but Bayern in the Bundesliga and, and competing for one position. So it's just too much, right? So you have that factor. And another part is, of course, Mark Royce is, is the captain of this side, right? So that's that's a big, big portion of this that needs to be taken into account because for the longest time, you also had the factor that you couldn't bench Marco Rose. You inevitably be benching not just your your legendary player, but your club captain. So that's also a big signal to the media. So, yeah, all these factors will, will play their part. And from a purely sporting point of view, I think that you probably could move on from Marco Rose. You wouldn't have a huge drop off if you got in someone like Dichi Kamada. I mean, if we, we can talk about Dichi Kamada in just a second, what form he is in for Frankfurt. But on the other hand, I mean, the game is more than just 11 individuals and, and their peak performance. You need people to gel the squad together. And nowhere is that more so than in Dalman, where you just continue to see a lack of leadership figures, a lack of people that, that stick around in the club for more than three, four years. So all these factors will play their part in Kale's mind. And maybe it is just more than what Marco Rose brings to the field, but then also what he can bring as, as a long-term Dalman player and as part of the locker room that can potentially just push that deal over the edge where they say, okay, we do maybe need Marco Royce for the long-term future of this club. Yeah, I think principally this is going to be about whether Marco Royce is willing to accept a diminished role. And, and I don't just mean diminished role in terms of on the pitch, but also diminished role in terms of how much money he's taking up for this team's salary. You know, if he is willing to play less and make less, then I think that this is a great opportunity for him to become, you know, an all-time Dortmund legend. I mean, I think he might already be in that category, but you know, a player who's who's essentially, you know, spent all but a couple of years of his career at one club that he also happened to, you know, come up with as a, as a youth player is a great story and a story that you could never take away from him. If he were to, you know, go to I don't know what what club within the Bundesliga or, you know, in Saudi Arabia where it seems like there's money flying around everywhere, that would change his story a lot. Yeah, I'll just jut in real quickly. I think we saw reports that that Marco Royce's um agent was actually yeah. at the Leipzig match on Friday. So mm-hmm. there's a really interesting caveat there. Of course, Mats Ebel is is the sporting director at at Leipzig now, and Mats Ebel was also the sporting director at Gladbach when um Royce was coming through at Gladbach. Marco Rose is the coach, of course, who's also Royce's coach at uh, Dortmund. So yeah, that's that's a big big factor here, and it's impossible to say that that wouldn't taint his legacy at Dortmund and probably in German football in general, if you went to Leipzig. So yeah, an interesting thing to watch. And in general, I think that the the contract situation across the Bundesliga is one of the most fascinating off-field storylines to just keep an eye on for the remainder of the season. Yep. I mean, it's tricky. Nobody ever likes to make less money <laughs> than they're making. <laughs> and, you know, it feels to me that like if he can either make the same or even slightly less instead of a pretty significant pay cut, which is what I think he'd get at Dortmund, I reckon he will go to Leipzig or to Manchester United or to, you know, Al Nasser or wherever, because that's what people do. They want to keep making good money. Yeah, just ask Mokuku. Sometimes people don't even like making the same amount of money or even near to the same amount of money. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Briefly, Augsburg, who were were very spry in this game, and, and, you know, I think given the way things went, were close to deserving at least a point out of this game. They have some pretty tricky fixtures coming up, though. They uh, Gladbach uh, at home and Freiburg away. I guess a good sign for them was that they got at least some contribution from David Colina, who who is brand new there and you know scored right away. 
Yeah, I think they have, it, a really interesting storyline because they're the most active team on the market so far, mm-hmm. by, by far. I mean, it's not even a debate. And also the players they signed are, are, are guys that are going to make Altsford a lot more exciting. I mean, three of them, I believe, are center forwards. You have a, a super young central midfielder from the Belgian League. So, yeah, Altsford's a squad that you'll have to wait and see probably until at least next week and how a lot of these pieces start to form. And with the backdrop of, of, of course, a relegation battle, because it wouldn't be Altsport about a relegation battle, there's just so many moving pieces that it could really go one of two ways. You can see how an entirely new look squad kind of in January never finds its feet and just looks destined for relegation. Or you see some of these new stars really come into the limelight right away and, and lift Enrico Moffin's team to the next level. So, yeah, I don't think we'll even have the answer of that uh, by the time Altsport plays Freiburg. But in the next month or so, I think you'll you'll get a good glimpse of, of what Altsport is capable of this year. And yeah, if it's heading upwards or downwards for them. Yeah, they're a team on the move in what direction is, remains to be seen. But th- things are happening there. OK, let's take a little break and come back with part two, the rest of Match Day 16. Again, folks, it's Talking Foosball Direct. It's Matt Herman here with Adam Kahn. We are pressing on with the second half of the podcast. This is the part where we talk about the rest of Match Day 16. We got six games to sort of encapsulate or at least uh, you know touch upon. So we might as well get started. I think we should start with uh, the team who I guess now find themselves in what? Uh, second place? Yeah, second place. You know, level on points with a couple of other teams, but still second place. That is Eintracht Frankfurt. They got a 3-0 result that, you know, might look like a top side just taking care of business against a cellar dweller. That was Schalkendolfier in this in this particular case. But I think it was kind of a lot more than that. I mean, individual brilliance from Jesper Lindstrom put the Eagles on top in the first half. Really, really nice solo goal. And it was actually individual brilliance from Kevin Trapp that kept them you know, on top of this game until Rafael Boré and Buta each uh, scored in the last six minutes to sort of put the lid on this game. What were your thoughts on this performance from Eintracht, uh, as well as this performance from, from Schalke? You look at like the, you know, XG results from this one and, you know, Schalke had their chances. They, you know, put some really nice shots on frame. It just happened to be that they were playing against a, a goalkeeper who was capable of some some serious shit. Yeah, it was a bit of the, the story of the shock of the season a little bit where you, I mean, you look at kind of the, the full 90 minutes and you think, hey, that wasn't actually that bad. Like they had chances, they they are, are creating shots. And, and then you looked at the scoreline and you say, how do we even get here? And it's really the same thing again with a friend for Schalke this time around. Schalke across lose 3-0, but they had seven more shots. They had more possession. As you mentioned, of course, higher XG. And it's just that efficiency that's really, really failing them. I mean, you looked at Simon Terota and yeah, he's just not a top flight striker. I, I don't understand how we still have not come to that conclusion, but here we are once again. And just around them, I mean, you have some bright sparks, like I believe um, Shinta Kazuki, he was on his mm-hmm. Bundesliga debut, the, the Japanese youngster. So he kind of finally brought a bit of tempo and, and speed on the wings, which Schalke have been missing all season. So I think that they're definitely moving in the right direction, but I mean, it doesn't change the fact that they have nine points right now. It's their second worst ever Bundesliga campaign. 
There's no credit if you guess what their worst Bundesliga campaign was. And yeah, I think Stalja unfortunately will be will be heading back down. I, I hope I'm wrong in a historic club like this stays in the top flight, but I just don't look at this roster and think they have enough to to remain in the top flight. Yeah, yeah, I'm beginning to beginning to worry a lot about them as well, especially as you know, this second half of the season is getting started. Right? Almost second half, of course. It's uneven, uneven halves. It seems like there are a number of teams who either have changed coaches or have changed their approach or who seem to have gotten some some signings right. And and I don't think Schalke really have any of that going for them right now. So it's going to be an interesting fight among all those crabs in a bucket down at the bottom of the Bundesliga. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Union Berlin and Hoffenheim. This was a big comeback for Union at the uh, Alter Försterei, as was implied by me saying comeback. Uh, the visitors did score first just before halftime. They didn't concede an equalizer until the 73rd minute. But, you know, the Irons just applied pressure, applied pressure, applied pressure. And in the end, it was just too much for TSK to deal with. They scored twice in the final minutes. They took all three points. This kind of felt like it felt like a bit of a breakthrough, not just because it was a great result for Union, but Union had entered the long winter break on, on a kind of a skid. And to see them impose themselves on a team like this, Hoffenheim are not the greatest team, but they're not a bad team either. And to see Union basically just crush their will in the final 20 minutes of this game and win, I thought was pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, we don't want to go too far into, into form talk here, but yeah. Onion had no win in their last three matches, so they were a side that if they wanted to stay towards the top of the table, if they wanted to still be a part of this Champions League race, they need to win matches like this against Hoffenheim at home. And the fact that Hoffenheim went up 1-0, you kind of saw Onion fading again, dropping down to the table. We saw last year as well when Mats Kruse left in January, how they took a long time to finally find their feet again once his departure was confirmed. So you almost saw the same thing again happening this year, but... As you mentioned, Union went back to the tried and trusted, just keeping the game simple, focusing on set pieces, and that was ultimately the king. I mean, they have 10 goals from headers this season. It's the most in the Bundesliga. They know how to make corners and free kicks effective. And yeah, it's it's something that also plays into Hoffenheim's weaknesses, which we'll probably get to in a moment. Yeah, yeah. Danilo Duki just <laughs> playing the part of battering Ram to an amazing, amazing extent. Yeah, sure. Let's speak a little bit about Hoffenheim. I mean, they, they've got tricky games coming up, Stuttgart, Gladbach. They have felt like a team you could really get behind at times this season, but at times they've stumbled to some pretty poor results. What do you think is keeping them from building a more consistent platform to operate from? Yeah, I think it's just it's just head scratching. I think that they're three points ahead of Augsburg, three points ahead of Stuttgart, four points ahead of Hertha. I mean, when you look at the talent on this Hoffenheim roster, the type of football that they're able to play, I just advise anybody to almost watch the first half of this Union Hoffenheim game because you'll see just the quick two-touch football that Hoffenheim plays, the the through balls, the dribbling. I mean, it, it's to be in the same realms of the table as a Bochum, as an Augsburg, it's just absolutely wild. And it puts into question kind of the mentality of this Hoffenheim squad because of course, it's it's not a team that you necessarily say needs to be playing for Europe, needs to be playing for the Champions League. But with players like Angelino in there, who who won the won the Dave Babel Cup of Leipzig and was a Man City graduate, played in in the semi final of the Champions League, or Andre Kramaric, a World Cup finalist, right? 
these are not players that should be playing at the bottom of the table. And the fact that they're able to show it in glimpses, but never over a full 90 minutes shows that there's just not the characters maybe there to, to really drag this team forward and get the most out of the individual talent. Yeah. Yeah. I worry about that too, especially at a club that lacks, you know, I think we all know what Hoffenheim lacks as a club. It lacks history. It lacks character. It lacks uh, sort of significant support. It lacks a lot of things. Yeah, I would say it lacks the external pressure that, a, for example, a Hatta becomes when, when they play football like this or a Stuttgart becomes or even a Bochum and a Schalke, other clubs around their realms of the table. And that's why I think that despite having this much talent in the squad, things can quickly go sour in the Bundesliga. And if you don't watch your back, you can be in the relegation zone. And yeah, who knows if, if an Andre Krumrich or an Angelino or ES Bebu or any of the other numerous talents are, are able to, to show the grit and then the dirty type of football to get you out of that mess. So I wouldn't put it past Hoffenheim really messing it up this season. Yeah, yeah, there could be some late entrance into the relegation fight, it seems. Okay, let's move on and talk about, well, let's talk about your favorite team, buddy. Talk about Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, they did lose. It was a 3-2 loss at home to Leverkusen, but it was plenty of action in the game. I mean, Leverkusen basically dominated that first half uh, and took a 2-0 lead. They would widen that lead, I guess, what, in the 67th? minute. They seem to sort of be ready to sort of cruise into the sunset, but Lash Dindel <laughs> at least wanted to make a, a, a small argument over this. I guess he got two goals in the final 10 minutes. You know, second one was too late to really put too much fear into Leverkusen in the, in the, in the final seconds, I guess. But how did you feel coming out of this game? Did it feel like a game where you were outclassed or a game where perhaps Gladbach were not set up in the right way? To get something, I think that the first thing to probably mention is 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 Leverkusen because I think that what you saw was that Leverkusen for one of the few times this season got the most out of what the squad is capable of. You see how with limited amount of possession they're able to make a ton of chances yep. just for the sheer pace, the sheer tempo that this this attack has. Yeah, it's it's one of the best pure counterattacking sides in the Bundesliga when they're on song. Yeah, and that's what we saw. I mean, specifically that second goal from, I think, I mean, oddly it was mm-hmm. just a quick win win of the ball in the midfield and, and just one ball and you can sprint something so dynamic and, and so so dangerous with, with the amount of pace that this, this team has. So I think that's really interesting to watch. And it, it should also be mentioned that if any team probably benefited from this long break, it, it may have been Leverkusen because... Xabi Alonso had to deal with with midweek football the entire time since coming in, so he never really had time on the training pitch to to really stamp any authority into the side. It was almost like just kind of plodding a sinking ship the entire time. But I mean, with what was more than two months in the end of, of just pure training time, pure time on the pitch, I think we'll see a whole new image of, of Leverkusen in the second half of the season. So yeah, that's an exciting team to watch, and they should by no means be, be counted out just yet of, of sneaking into Europe. I do want to coax you into talking about the Falls, however. What do you think – I mean, obviously the big, big change for them was the departure of Jan Zomer and, and, and the arrival of what – Thomas Omlin? Or, I couldn't, couldn't quite remember whether I had his first name right. Um, <laughs> who came in from Montpellier. What did you see from this team? I guess there was a comment – I can't remember which player it was after the game – felt like they weren't mentally in the right place, that it felt like they were still on the training pitch and just kind of got bum-rushed. How did you feel about this restart for them? 
Yeah, I think it's Lampard is very, very inconsistent. I think you see that that time and time this year, last year as well, that the squad is really, really capable, and they have the the types of players who who can can gel together and really win games, but they don't have the consistency necessary to grind out results. And specifically in this Leverkusen game, you see that Lampard has a squad that is built for possession football, and and they play possession football, but. And as soon as you're chasing a game and it, it becomes ever, ever more difficult to do that because you, you saw in Leverkusen, they were more than happy to, to sit off club, but give them possession in their own third, let them pass around the back and just wait for mistakes to counter. And, and it's obviously worked to perfection. I mean, had Stindl not sparked that that very, very late turnaround, you would have been talking about yet another blowout defeat for, for a side in the Bundesliga this match day. So yeah, I think Gladbach have a possession blueprint and they have a real identity that was missing under Adi Hütte, but they don't necessarily have a plan B and something to shift to if a team is has found it out or if you're just down a goal and, and need to turn a game around quickly because possession football for, for all of its virtues isn't necessarily great at, at yeah forcing the other team into making the first move. Yeah, you, you mentioned this would have looked like a blowout had uh, Lars Dindel not done some very late heroics. I think we should talk about a, a legit blowout now, Adam. I think we should talk about Cologne's just destruction of Werder Bremen. This was, other than that Wolfsburg-Freiburg result, this was the other sort of what <laughs> result from the week. 7-1. Not only was it 7-1, but you had 5-0, or 5-1, I guess, because, you know, uh, Freeman did get their little consolation goal at the end of the first half. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, this was the first time that Bremen had conceded five in the first half of a game in Bundesliga history, which is, is wild considering Bremen have, I think, been in the Bundesliga all, the, all, all but about three seasons. Yeah, braces for both Stefan Tigges and Elias Skiri. The second one from Skiri was just <laughs> chef's kiss and a total disaster for Bremen in this one. Yeah, but not only was this a surprising result, just from the margin, but a surprising result considering some of the dark clouds that had been over Cologne in the first half of the season. What do you read into this result? I think for Cologne, firstly, it's it's a massive result. I think they needed exactly this to kind of get their season back on track. We always talk about the the curse of playing midweek European football. And I mean, for some it shows, for some it doesn't, but for Cohen, it was definitely a factor. You saw kind of how the wheels really came off towards the latter half of the season. They were only almost desperately waiting for, for the World Cup to begin. I mean, just a statistic here that, that between match day 10 and match day 15. So the last five match days before the break, no team, no Schalke, no Bochum, no team picked up fewer points than Cohen in the Bundesliga. So they were a team that you would have really said, had they lost to Bremen today, they would definitely be in the relegation battle. I feel like you could have confirmed that. But I think that the manner of the victory, although Bremen played into their hands, I mean, the first three goals that Cohen scored all came from a Bremen attacking set piece. So yeah. they really could not have made oh. it easier. And dude, do you remember that? The first goal for Cologne, which was, of course, off a Bremen attacking set piece. I, when I was watching that, there were so many bad loose touches from Cologne that somehow still ended up with them in possession. I just kept thinking, like, how do they still have the ball? What's going on? Yeah, it seems that, well, that's, I mean, you need that if you if you win 7-1, I feel like you also need those lucky touches a bit. But, yeah, I think 
regardless of lucky touches, poor brain and set pieces, it shouldn't take too much away from the fact that Cullen were, were up for it. I mean, you saw from Stefan Baumgart on the sidelines with his T-shirt on in freezing cold German January weather that Cullen were, were up for this one and Bremen were still on the, what, the beaches in, in Mallorca and the training camps. So, yeah, Cullen definitely were worthy of this of this victory. Yeah, yeah, and Bremen, despite the fact that they have two home games coming up in the, the remainder of this English Woche, they are against Union and Wolfsburg. So, little concern for Bremen right now. I mean, I, along with Hoffenheim, who you mentioned earlier about sort of maybe being a, a late entrant into relegation trouble, I would not put it past Bremen to fall down there as well. Yeah, I mean, we just talked to a Bremen fan about their relegation two years ago, and the same thing was the sentiment, right? Bremen looked all but safe with 10, 12 match days to go and then went on one of the most horrendous runs of form in Bundesliga history to end up getting relegated. So, I think that it's almost a, a wake-up call coming at the right moment for Bremen. But I also wouldn't look too, too far into it. I mean, we've seen so many shocking results this season. We saw Bremen themselves beating Gladbach 5-1. This weekend as well, Wolfsburg 6-0 Freiburg. Leverkusen beating Union Berlin 5-0. And, and Köln themselves losing the Mainz 5-0. So I think that the, the manner of the defeat is something that Bremen definitely needs to take on board. But... I think that the scoreline 7-1 is not necessarily something that, that needs to be dwelled on too long. And it's almost one where you say, happy to have the, the midweek fixtures coming so soon and, yeah, get that second chance. Yep, yep. Hopefully they will shake it off. And uh, I will say the same about Hertha BSC, who were, uh, were 3-1 losers in Bochum. Huge win for Bochum, by the way. Not only because it was a 3-1 win, but a direct relegation rival. The game actually looked to be headed the other way in the early going, as Hertha's look at Tuzar. You know, he capped off an uncharacteristically slick team move with a, a driven shot in the area. But the goal was disallowed. The ball was out of play a while before in the buildup, but nonetheless. Philip Hofmann got one back on 22 minutes. Kevin Schlotterbeck added another before halftime. Bochum basically never looked back. Thomas Lech, you know... He's quietly put together an excellent run, I would say. He's taken 15 points from a possible 27. He's raised Fawafel from dead last up to 13th place. Is he the next Bo Svensson? That's pretty high praise. I think that he's definitely doing a lot of the Bo Svensson type work in Bolton right now. And I think it just goes to show that there's going to be at least one really good team that gets relegated from the Bundesliga this season because... Bar Schalker just put them to the side right now. Yeah. I mean, Hertha have performed better than the amount of points they have. Bochum have probably performed level with the amount of points they have. Augsburg and Phases have looked really, really good. Stuttgart as well. So, yeah, there isn't really your your Grota Futs or even Arminia Bielefeld in this year's campaign. This is going to be one of the best relegation battles for, for quite some time. And it's one that Hertha's definitely going to be a part of because they're now in the relegation zone, I believe. And yeah, the statistics in general don't don't shine brightly on them. Of the 16 clubs who played in the Bundesliga for the entirety of 2022, Hertha was by far the worst. So it's not necessarily good reading. And as we said, although they got some VAR um, misfortune, which, I mean, it really should have been a goal. I, I think that the, the rules were, were probably off there. And, and the fact that you looked at the squad and also what Sandra Schwartz is getting out of them, you say, hey, it's actually going pretty well. Defeats like this to Bochum to show the severity of, of the situation and that in the end, form and, and performances aren't what matters and when we get to match day 34. 
Yep, I think it's going to be a long remainder of the season for Hertha. And as you said, for a lot of teams, I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue at the bottom of the table. One more match to touch on that was um, probably the least eventful from a, an on-field action perspective as well as, you know, plays on the table, etc. That was Stuttgart versus Mainz. 1-1 was how it ended. Not the most intriguing <laughs> finish. Stuttgart, I guess maybe the biggest thing for them was um, the debut, or I guess the, the re-debut of Bruno Labbadia as uh, Stuttgart coach. He's gotten a reputation for being a bit of a, a relegation scrap specialist. This game was real relegation scrappy in terms of how it played out. It was sleeting in Stuttgart, but probably a fair result for both sides. I mean, are you convinced by the, the Labadia hire, Adam? Yeah, I think you almost have to look at it from, from two sides. I think the neutral fan in me is like, oh my God, Bruno Labadia is back. Great. I can't wait to not tune into a single Stuttgart game for the rest of the season. But I think if you put on your Stuttgart cap, you'd say it's actually a pretty good signing, right? I mean, Labadia is now in his sixth job in the Bundesliga. And as you mentioned, it's his second period at Stuttgart. And I think that period at Stuttgart is kind of why he is in such high regard there. He took Stuttgart from, from being relegation candidates in that season and then turned them into a side that qualified for Europe. just just a matter of a year and a half later, I believe. So, yeah, he's someone that... that Definitely knows his way around the relegation battle. Did some heroics with with Haas, fell, um, a sinking ship that was just a ticking time bomb, and he was able to keep them alive. So, yeah, I think of all the managers available, he's probably the the best bet for the situation. But there's a lot of factors out of his control that that will influence if Stuttgart can, can stay up. And I think FIFA Munson, which we saw again on the weekend, is just their ability to capitalize on chances because this side just, they need, they need a 15 goal goal score. And, and it's something that I don't necessarily trust here to see to do. And from, from the wings, you have creators, 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 but nobody who is really shown as, as a goal scorer. Yeah. Was there a really tall guy, Austrian, I think, who, who they used? To, yeah. Sasha Kalajic would, would, would be nice to have about now. I thought I thought when you went with really, really tall, I thought we were talking about Mario Gomez coming back for, for Stuttgart <laughs> for a second there. But I guess I guess that would have to be back in Lavadia's first tenure. That, that, yeah, that would be exactly. Wow. It's hard to think that, um, you know, Lavadia – He's coached so many different clubs that, and, and so many different clubs in the intervening time, that really he was he was quite a good Stuttgart coach. He, you know, had had a, had a good time there. Maybe does anybody have Martin Harnick's number number? Maybe get him back in. <laughs> love it, love it. Might, might as well bring up Marco Streller for that matter. <laughs> okay, that's all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct. It was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Lovely to have you back on, Adam. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, I mean, we're on the same exact day as the next round of Bundesliga fixtures are, are upon us. So there's enough on the TV to keep you glued there. Just listen to the podcast, watch the television, and then you'll have all the Bundesliga action to get you right up to speed as the season's back underway. Yeah, it's almost like there had been, you know, a, a gush of, of Bundesliga football building up in this fire hose, and now it's suddenly spraying all over us this week. Uh, you can find Adam, of course, on Twitter at XXAdamXX. Read his German Football Weekly Substack newsletter. If you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Look out for Talking Foosball Extra with Nick and the gang later this week. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all. 